This year of 2022 makes 30 years that I've been privileged to be part of this movement known as the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, you know, as I reflect back, my love, my devotion to God is deeper. Um, most certainly not a perfect man that stands before you, I assure you of that. Very much a work in progress. But if there's one thing that really sticks out to me when, when the question is asked, like I've seen a lot of people stray. At this point in my life, I don't think anything surprises me at this point in my life. I've just seen so many people in the church on fire for God, holding high positions of leadership, very influential, baptizing by the thousands, and uh, today they're gone. You know, they're gone. And, and usually when you're a studious, when you're a very studious Seventh-day Adventist Christian, when you're studious, you usually don't leave the church and join another church because you already have been educated on Babylon and error and all these things. So usually when someone is studious, if they leave the church, they go right into the world. They just go back into the world. They just become, I guess, the best worldling that they could be. And unfortunately, I see this a lot. And, and as I assess my heart, one of the things that I know that has been very consistent, and this is something that I really want to give to each of you as a gem, because I'm a living testimony of this, and I am not exaggerating with what I'm about to tell you. It was right when I was in the hip-hop industry. It was, I was dancing, I was doing choreography and everything for a lot of the stars in the world of R&B and hip-hop. And uh, the Lord got my attention. And I started bouncing around from church to church, you know, because I was trying to find out, okay, let me figure out religion. And I remember that I went to the Roman Catholic Church, wanted to see how things were there, and um, it didn't feed my soul. I went to the Pentecostal Church, lots and lots of excitement, that's for sure. But it was very, very temporal. It was just emotionalism at best. I became a Muslim because Muslims seemed to be very uh, intellectually intriguing. And so I became a Muslim and I started to walk with the teachings of Islam for a period of time in an offshoot group from Islam called Nuwabians. And I, and I began to study all of that out. And again, nothing was there. And it was right at the time that I was ready to give up just on God because it seemed so hard. I was like, Lord, I'm trying to figure out, but it's really hard. And it was right at that time that I gave God an ultimatum. I said, if you don't tell me who you are by tomorrow, I'm just going to walk away. And, you know, and I was really serious. God knew I was serious because I was hungry. I wanted to know. And so that next morning, a friend of mine found a flyer on the street and it had all the topics that I had questions about. And that was the first time I came in contact with this thing called Seventh-day Adventist Christians. And I had to admit, I heard a teaching that I never heard before. I said, this is so consistent with Scripture. It was almost like everything they believe is right in the Bible. And that intrigued me. And so I made a decision to join. I got baptized. And immediately, the first person that I went to was my dancing partner, Damien. And I said, D, you have got to hear this. I found something that is better than sliced bread, because we used to eat a lot of bread. And, you know, I was just like, bro, I found something amazing. And, 
you know, Damien heard it and he got baptized. And then me and him started to light the streets of New York on fire. I mean, we would go to the subways everywhere and just start sharing. And, and that's why a couple of weeks ago when I was on the same pulpit with Doug Batchelor, it was just it was so humbling because I'm like, I used to watch this guy. You know, I used to take the Amazing Facts booklets and give it to people. And now I'm like standing next to this man as a fellow laborer. But the one thing that has been consistent is from the moment I joined this church 30 years ago until right now, I have spent time in people's homes who do not know what I know sharing what I know with them for 30 years. And believe me, I know what it is to make a great six-figure income. I got very high in corporate, and I was extremely busy. I was a very high executive, but I always made time to at least one day for one hour out of a week to be in somebody's home sharing what I know that they do not know that they need to know. I promise you, family, some of you are just too busy you got to take a moment to spend some time with souls. I'm glad you're giving out tracks because that's a start. Just remember, it's not a finish. Give out the tracks, give out the glow tracks, do all those things because it's part of our work. But God wants you and I to enter into people's homes and to give real, meaningful ministry that people are needing in such a time as this in Earth's history. And I promise you, take one day, one hour out of one week to just sit in somebody's home, wear a mask, gloves and shields, whatever you need to wear to feel at peace because there's still people that's willing to open their doors to messengers of hope like you and like me. And I want to talk a little bit about that today and a particular method that I believe God has given to us as his people that is just ever so timely. And if God can increase our faith in embracing what I will be sharing with you, because it's not my thoughts, I assure you, it's God's thoughts. I think the Lord's going to take us on some serious higher ground. And so as we prepare our hearts to receive the word, let's go ahead and let's have a word of prayer. I'm going to go upon my knees. I'd like to invite you to kneel with me if you're able to. If you're not, uh, just bow your heads where you are. And let's go ahead and let's prepare our hearts to receive the word. Our loving Father, we are very grateful once again for the gift of life. We also thank you for the gift of health. And I realize that some of us may not have health perfectly, but... You are still the God that heals, and there very well may be a plan, according to your will, of greater restoration than what we're already experiencing. But Lord, we know there's others who are in a worse condition than we, so we still can praise you for our condition of health. And Lord, we thank you for opportunities. We now are an audience ready to hear heaven speak, so teach us on earth how to remain silent before thee. Open our hearts, help our minds to be prepared to receive the word. And I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, make it plain to us. Intrigue our hearts that we will become participants in that which is your will in these very last moments of earth's history. For we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. I would like for us to take our Bibles and go to the book of James chapter 2. There is something that we need to understand as it relates to us being God's gospel workers. And uh, James chapter two uh, does it well. And, and I, I will tell you, brothers and sisters, I, I'm not exaggerating. You know, the more that you sit down with other people sharing God's message of love, hope and warning, you will find that it creates a fire in your own heart. 
I know tons and tons of Christians who often say my fire is going out. I'm not on fire anymore. We talked briefly about that even in our Sabbath school with my young brothers and sisters today. And you will find that what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs where it talks about he that waters gets watered also is very, very true. The more that you avail yourself in ministering to others, you will find that it ministers to you. And you leave that home with a boost in your own heart. And I want all of you to experience this. But when we embrace this gospel call that Jesus gives to each and every one of us, I want us to remember something. In fact, before we look at James 2, let's get a little bit more context. Let's go to Matthew 28. Let's go to Matthew 28. Let's take a look at that. We'll go to Matthew 28. You can keep your finger on James 2 because we will go back there. But let's go to Matthew 28 and let's, let's just review the Great Commission. In Matthew, the 28th chapter, let's notice what the Bible says. It is the gospel commission. And in Matthew 28, Jesus says it like this. If you're there, please let me know by saying amen. All right. So in Matthew 28, we're starting at verse 18. And the Bible says, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, how much power? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. The reason he's saying go ye therefore is because the person who has your back is the individual that has all power. When you have someone that is all powerful saying, I will protect you, I will be with you, that means we have nothing to fear. Can you say amen to that? All right. So it says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. The gospel commission given to the church is to go. And go and do what, according to the text? Go and teach. Now go to Mark 16. If you go to Mark 16, Jesus adds something to this concept. Mark, the 16th chapter. Now we're looking at verse 15. In Mark chapter 16, we're now considering verse 15. And let's notice what the Bible says here. It says, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel to every creature. So a little different from what we might have read in Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, we were told to go and teach. In Mark 16, we're being told to go and preach. Now, these are things that we all are called to do in some shape, form, or size. We are called to be preachers, and we are called to be teachers of the gospel. Now, let's go to James chapter 2. Now, I think we can appreciate what James is going to say to us better. Now that we understand that, because by the time you get to the book of James, you are now looking at people taking the words of Christ seriously and putting it in action. In other words, what he said in Matthew 28, go teach. What he said in Mark 16, go preach. By the time we're in the book of James, now James is talking about those who follow that commission, who have said, all right, Lord, we're going to go do it. So now let's look at James 2, verses 15 to 17. The Bible says in James 2, verses 15 to 17, if a brother or sister be naked, and destitute of daily food, Brother Frank. It says, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace. Be ye warmed and filled. 
Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? Jesus is making it very clear. When you go to do ministry, when you and I go to fulfill the gospel commission, there are going to be times it's going to be very appropriate to preach. There are going to be times where it's going to be very appropriate to teach. But there's also something else that James wants us to pay attention to. When people are hungry, when people are naked, and they're showing I need very practical help right now, not theological help right now. God makes it very clear, I want you to go ahead and meet that need because for you to preach and teach to them when they have a very in front of your face practical need will profit us nothing. And then he says in verse 17, he says, even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. So God is making it very, very clear that, yes, we are called to preach. Yes, we are called to teach, but there are going to be certain needs that humanity is going to have that it may not be appropriate to preach or teach at that moment. So we're going to have to do a third dynamic of Jesus's ministry. Go to Matthew chapter nine. Let's notice the third dynamic of Jesus's ministry. Now, if we pick up the third dynamic, all oh, brothers and sisters, you don't understand how much we will be a lighthouse in this community. If we pick up the third dynamic, now we're in the book of Matthew chapter nine. And so let's notice what the Bible says. Now we're looking at the third dynamic of the ministry of Jesus. The Bible says in Mar Mar Matthew uh, chapter nine in verse thirty five. Let's notice what the text says. It says, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages. What's the first thing that Jesus was doing? teaching in their synagogues. What's the second thing he was doing? Preaching. preaching the gospel of the kingdom. But wait, what's the third thing he was doing? Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Third dynamic. Imagine that. You see, Jesus didn't give us a crippled gospel. He did not give us a partial gospel. When he left, he left us with all the treasures of heaven. He gave us the whole gospel. And the world does not need partial because we already see the fruit of partiality. It does not prepare a people to meet their God. And so what the Lord is saying is, I want a people that I'm going to raise up and they're going to do my whole work, not my partial work, but my whole work. And that whole work of Christ, the whole ministry of Christ does not just preach and teach, but it also does a beautiful, wonderful healing work as well question. Do you think that we live in a world today where people need some healing? Do you think we're living in a world today where people need emotional healing, spiritual healing, physical healing? Absolutely. And God is, wants to make it very clear to us that when I raised up the church, the Lord is saying, when he raised up the church, he raised us up that we might go and do a work. Now, pr I promise you, brothers and sisters, if you and I embrace this work, maybe there's a spiritual lethargy that we're going through, that it is through Christ-like service God will get us out of that lethargy. And that's why I gave you that little testimony, because I, I think sometimes the best way to speak is from experience, 
rather than always other people's. I, I'm telling you the truth. I still have a fire for God. Do you know, for 30 years, and, and I'm not saying this to impress you. I'm just saying this to impress upon you what God can do. It's been 30 years that I've been walking with the Lord, and I don't have a record of backsliding. I don't have a record of, you know, walking with God. And then I got to this place where I was like, oh, forget God, went into the world, did a whole bunch of worldly stuff again. And then I'm coming back to God. That's not my testimony. It's just not mine. Now, again, a brother got issues. Please don't take that lightly. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm I'm a thoroughly imperfect individual. You understand what I'm saying? And it's like, but I that's just not my testimony of walking away after coming to the Lord. Whom God calls, God can keep. And what I'm saying to you, my brothers and sisters, is that God can keep you as well from falling. And he can present you faultless before the presence of his glory with absolute exceeding, exceeding joy. But we need to understand that one of the ways to stay on fire is to enter into his service. And as this, this is what he meant when he said, take my yoke upon you. In Matthew 11, when he said, take my yoke upon you, study the word yoke in the Bible. Yoke is equivalent to service. So he's actually showing you this is how you find rest unto your soul. Enter into my yoke. Take my yoke of service. Because it's very easy to go into pity parties. It's very easy to do that, isn't it? Woe is me. Nobody has it as bad as I have it. I'm serious. There's a devil fanning that flame. Is, is it, oh, nobody knows my troubles. There's an old Negro spirit. You know, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. And sometimes we live in that so much. And that's why God's formula for healing in Isaiah 58 was always to get out of yourself, no matter how bad you're hurting, struggling or going through it. Go help somebody else, because if you go help somebody else, he promised in Isaiah 58, verse eight, he says, then shall thy light spring forth as the morning and your health shall spring forth speedily. So God has a plan. So now he's calling us to enter into his service. But now Galatians 5 gives good balance. So let's turn there. In Galatians 5, if we're going to enter into the service of Christ, it does not matter how old you are. It does not matter how young you are. It does not matter if you have perfect health. It does not matter if you have partial health. There is something we all can do to uplift somebody else and help them to get on better ground. And when you do that for them, God is going to do miracles for you. Now, in Galatians 5, God gives us some context. Because James made it clear, listen, don't go all into all this service, and you're going to go around serving people, etc., and you're not going to be practical. We got to be practical. See the actual needs and minister to the practical needs while we still give theological concepts. There's a place for that. But I love what Paul says in Galatians 5 and verse 6. He says in Galatians 5 and verse 6, For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith that works by love. This is the most effective way to do Christian service. And I really understand why Ellen White, she talks about study 1 Corinthians 13 every day. You know, it's a hard thing to do. A lot of us don't do it. (laughs) Um, But then do we not notice also that sometimes we struggle loving people, especially unlovable ones? Seriously, not everybody's lovable. Some people have pretty bad characters. And sometimes it's not easy to love that individual. It's not. 
But Jesus says, no, it's the, 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 but it still can happen. He just says that you and I just have to make sure we watch carefully what we're dwelling on. Because by beholding, you do become changed. And if you behold how much somebody gets you upset, then you're going to be upset. But if you continue to behold how much Jesus died for that person, you're upset. If you force your mind to say, wait a minute, what's good about this person? And you begin to just start reflecting on better characteristics about the individual, you'll find the brain starts shifting. And after a while, God can help us to be compassionate even towards someone that beforehand we probably said to ourselves, I don't want anything to do with them. With God, all of these things are possible. Amen. Well, here it is that the Bible says, look, when we go to do service, we must have faith, total and absolute trust in the word of God only. That trust in the word of God only should produce works. Those works are the service of Christ. As he ministered, we shall minister. But my motive in doing those works should be none other than godly love for the soul that I'm serving. And if you don't have it, ask for it. Because God made it very clear, ask and you shall receive. He also said, you have not because you ask not. That's James 4 and verse 2. And so God can give us everything we need that we can serve effectively. And let not his will, let not our will, but his will be done. Now, when we focus on the mission of the church, that, that's our goal. Our goal is to work as Christ worked for the purpose of salvation and it is supposed to be based on an unadulterated love for the people that we're serving. At Tekoa Missions, Elder knows about this. Um, you know, Elder was one of the uh, students there. Is, you know, we, we often encourage the students, the missionaries, you know, ask God to give you a love for souls. You know, because let's face it, sometimes we don't have it. Again, we get consumed with life. And after a while, it's all about me and mine, and I got to pay my bills, I got to do what I got to do, and we can allow our minds to get a bit distracted. So if you find you don't have a love for souls, that's okay. God knows how to meet us in that reality. But you can start pleading with him. You can start praying, Lord, give me a genuine love for souls. And here's where your test with love for souls will be. When you get into differences. We all love people when we serve them and they take what we give them. You go to a homeless shelter or a group of where the homeless are, and you come with the food, you know probably 99.9% .9 chance they're not going to reject you. So sometimes it can almost be easy ministry. Any ministry where the rejection rate is low is easy ministry. Any ministry where the rejection rate is high is difficult ministry. And it's going to pull more out of your characters. And I'm not here to knock down any, you know, it's thank God. You know, I'm glad that there's certain times of times in ministry where you can go and it's, it's a bit of an easier work. They're going to they're going to receive with gladness. But that in and of itself does not test the character. What tests the character is what if you go to serve somebody and they absolutely curse you out? What if you go to serve somebody and they literally just say, look, I don't want this garbage. Get it out of my face. And you, too, you get it out of my face. It's like it's in those moments of rejection. That's when the test is kicking in now. And now it's going to be, OK, 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 what's going on in your mind right there? What are you thinking about that person right there? And then you compare that. What was Jesus thinking about that person right there? And those those are ways that we can do that thing called assessing ourselves. Right. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And if there is. 
Lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. So God allows us in service to see things about ourselves so we can see our need to come closer to the foot of the cross. So in the mission of the church, we are called to serve as Christ served. Now, I want us to look at this a little bit more closely. When Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost, he comes up out of the water. Image like a dove comes upon him. Spirit of God comes upon Christ and the voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right at that time, Jesus was anointed for ministry. So as he goes into his public ministry, what does Acts say? Acts 10 and verse 38. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. And what came when he had the Holy Ghost? He also had something else. What did he have? Power. That's going to be very much needed when we do gospel work. We're going to need heaven born power. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So notice that when Jesus went into his work, he was not just preaching and teaching under the power of the Holy Spirit, but he was also doing healing. This is the same thing he gave to the church. Look at Luke nine. When you look at Luke, the ninth chapter, verses one and two, we see that what happened with Christ is the same thing that should be happening with us. It says, then he called his how many? Twelve. Question. In Luke nine, were there any more disciples than the twelve? No. Seventy didn't come yet because that's the only next group. There was a twelve and then there was a seventy and so on. At this time, the 12 disciples constituted all of his disciples. So I want you to see what Jesus gave to all of his disciples. Now, I don't know how many of you consider yourselves members of the church, but I hope you consider yourself disciples of Christ. Because the Bible never said, go ye therefore and make members. It says, go ye therefore and make disciples. That's what it says in the Greek. Now, watch this. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over how many devils? Over all devils and to do something else. What did Jesus give to the 12 disciples? He gave them power to cure what? Diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, here's the question. How many of the 12 disciples were medical professionals? One. One. How many say one? Raise your right hand. How many say none? Raise your left hand. How many say, I don't know? Raise both hands. Okay, good. Not a problem. That's fine. We can work through this. Okay. The answer is none. Luke came later. So can you imagine you got 12 disciples that have been given power by the greatest physician to not just preach and teach, but to heal, to cure diseases. Do you think God can do that with common people today? Yes. Do you think that God could actually touch someone, empower someone, train someone that they actually know how to help people? And by the way, when you look at this, remember, let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let me give you this verse, because I'm going to challenge your belief just a little bit, if you don't mind. In Matthew 10, there's some bold statements in here. Look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10 is paralleled to Luke 9. 
So Matthew 10 says, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal how many? All manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. Do you really believe that God can use non-medical professionals? Do you really believe that God can use non-medical professionals to heal all manner of diseases. Do you believe that God could do that today? All right. Amen. Now, when I look at the ministry of Christ, he did preaching, he did teaching, and he did healing. But the question is, which did he prioritize? What, what did he prioritize? So all we got to do is search the scriptures, right? We go through the Bible and we look at all of these instances of the journey of Jesus. The leper in Galilee. The Roman centurion, the paralyzed servant, the demoniac in synagogue, uh, Peter's mother-in-law who is sick, the paralytic at Capernaum, the man with the withered hand. We look at all of these examples of the ministry of Christ, right? And as we look at this example of the ministry of Christ, we say, wow, that, that's a lot of healing work that he did. But then when we're finished looking at this, then look what happens. Wow, there's even more. He's doing even more healing work. He's just going from house to house, city to city, and he's just blessing, blessing, blessing. And he's bringing healing and restoration to the people who needed it most. And then after that, you say, wow, that's amazing. But then Jesus says, hold on, I got more. And so, again, as a minister, as a disciple of Christ, as an individual, yams, you're going to get this on steroids in the training. So if you want to take these pictures, you can, but... Just remember that. The, the point that I'm saying is, is that Jesus did something that was very clear, which was not just the story of what he did. It was supposed to be the story of what his church will do. I'm trying to reach our minds to think a little bit because I don't know about you. You know, I have a habit. I have a habit. It's, it's a habit. Again, this is not a boasting point at all. It's just a habit. It's something God convicted me to do. I'm sure many of you probably do things similar to this. Brothers and sisters, do you know, every time I go to MSN, and I just go to the MSN to look at what's happening in the world of news, um, I'm not looking for who's divorcing who or any of that stuff, because that has nothing to do with my life or the betterment of society. However, what I am looking for is taking the prophetic pen and looking for current events and what's going on and trying to match it. Now, when I do go to MSN and all these things, I'll always hear about somebody who died. 19 people died in the burning building or certain, such and such celebrity. And what God has trained my mind to do, because I, I used to just see it and be like, oh, man, that's messed up. And then I'd keep moving. Now, when I see that, I pause for a second and whisper a prayer for their family and ask God to use the death of this individual as an opportunity to get the people's attention that their hearts may be turned to him. Takes just a few seconds to do it. And so that was something I began doing. Right. And I, I wanted to do this because I was just like, Lord, you know, you care about people. I don't want to become cold. I think our world trains us to be cold hearted. I think our world trains us to just keep it moving. So I have to be intentional. So these are just little things. I'm just letting you a little bit in my business. Um, there are just some times in my life that I'm trying to fight to not become cold hearted because to be cold hearted is very easy. At least for some, it's, it's easy for me to be cold hearted if I let it. I can become careless now. Jesus says, listen, when you minister to people, don't just preach and teach to them. 
minister to their practical needs. And the ministry that he gave us is also a ministry of healing. It's not just a book. It's a ministry. He gave us something called the ministry of healing to minister to people's practical needs, especially their sickness and suffering. Now, when I look at all of this, Jesus did not just do this so we could say, wow, Jesus did this to be our example. We're told in inspiration, the Lord Jesus is our what? Example. He came to the world as a servant of mankind. He went from city to city, from village to village, teaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing the sick. Christ spent more time in healing than in teaching. So that's the truth. And we already saw that straight from the Bible. But now it transitions and says this. As our example, Christ linked how? Closely together the work of healing and teaching. And in this our day, they should not be separated. It then says, in our schools and sanitariums, nurses should be trained to go out as medical missionary evangelists. They should unite the teaching of the gospel of Christ with the work of healing. And this is why every time we go to a Seventh-day Adventist Institute, we were supposed to learn how to address the need for health and healing from God's perspective and combine it with the gospel. We have to stop this idea that I'm a physician. If you need help with your body, that's what I do. If you want to know Jesus, go to that minister over there. That's what is common practice, but that's not what God wants. He wants all physicians, all medical practitioners, as well as lay people to have an acquaintance with four things. Disease, its causes, prevention, and cure. He wants us all to be acquainted with it. Some of us are going to be acquainted with it on a little layman's level. Some of us are going to be acquainted with it at a very deep scientific level, but we all should know it to some degree or another. Are you following? Okay, so watch this. The goal. What's the goal of our health work? Because, because God wants us to embrace what we're going to call the gospel of health. What is the goal? What does God want us to do as it relates to embracing the gospel of health? Number one, here's the goal. It's very simple, actually. It's all over the Bible. John 5, 14. And after Jesus findeth him into the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto you. Matthew 9, 22. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made what? Whole from that hour. Then you have Acts 4. Notice, it's not Jesus now. These are the disciples. In Acts 4, it says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. So notice that our work, when I think about Orangevale, when I think about Sacramento, when I think about Roseville, when I think about all of the adjacent areas to us, God says, I've raised you up to do my work. And the focus or the goal is to help make people whole. Okay, that's our work. So whenever we do ministry, that's our work to help make people whole. So let's talk about that. What I mean, you know, if we look again, the word whole means healthy. It means well. It means sound. That's my ministry. That's your ministry. 
That's what God has given to us. Now, again, what does it mean to be made whole? I mean, if you go into a lot of this, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but, you know, this, this is just like all the different Greek words for whole and just the focus. I want you to notice, like, just keep looking at it. And I obviously highlighted the things in, in yellow there just to make it a little easier. But to be of strength, to be cured. But I love this part, to preserve, like that, I like that, preserve. It's not always about cure, it's about prevention. And prevention is better than cure. Then it also shows to heal, to save, to heal, to help people get well and to be sound. All of these things is what God says is our ministry. Now, it's easier to impart to something, to impart to others something you've received. In other words, has God healed you? If you got a broken marriage, it's kind of hard to tell everybody how to have a great marriage. It's hard, not impossible, but it's hard. It's a lot easier to say, my marriage was broken. I'm seeing God give me success. And I want to show you how God can do it for you, too. It'll come across in your tone of voice. It'll come across better because you are a partaker of the graces of God. Are you following? So please understand that this is not something we're learning just so you could tell everybody else what they need to be doing. It's like you want to ask yourself, is this working in my own life? Am I seeing that God is restoring me completely? Is he making me whole? That's, that's when more power will attend the preaching and the teaching and the demonstrating. You don't want to tell a young person how to get victory over fornication if you're still stuck in fornication. Are you following that? It's like you want, you want to be real with it and say, all right, Lord. But hey, if, God, if, you, if you fornicated five days a week and you're down to one, that means you're having progress. I'm very serious. Sometimes you got to look at it like that. I might meet a man who eats meat for breakfast, lunch, dinner and snacks. He eats meat all the time. If he goes from eating it for breakfast, lunch and snacks, if he stops breakfast, lunch and snack and only eats it for dinner, man, I'm going to I'm going to use that as an opportunity to celebrate. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to be like, hey, man, that's fantastic. Dwayne, I got rid of shrimp. I got rid of lobster. But I'm still struggling with pork. I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to say, man, you're on the road. So we don't celebrate only when we get to the end of the journey. We celebrate the fact that people are on the journey. Are you following what I'm saying, family? I'm trying to give you gospel. This is how you win souls. You can't become such a perfectionist in your mind that the only people you work with are the individuals who are mastering doing it all. Because the truth of the matter is you'll probably find no one, especially the one in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just keeping it real. So the point is, is that God is trying to say, listen, we'll get there. But if at least someone is on the journey, we can celebrate that. We can say, praise God, you're on the journey. And that is what's important. Now, let's continue. Another term for whole in the Bible, another term for whole is found in Acts chapter three. Let's turn there. In Acts chapter 3, there's another term for whole because this is our work. This is our mission. This is our focus as a church. By the grace of God, this is what we will focus on at Open Door Seventh-day Adventist Church for the year 2022. We want to demonstrate the whole ministry of Christ, and we want to do what he did. If he did more healing than he did teaching preaching, then maybe we need to do all that we can to avail ourselves. I remember I was told, hey, coming over to, you know, uh, Open Door... 
between Open Door and the church right next to us, we got a lot of physicians. And I said, praise God, that means a lot of service. That's immediately what went in my mind. Man, we got so many physicians and medical practitioners. Praise the Lord. That means that we can offer a great amount of service to our community. We could bless people beyond measure. And that's why I'm so happy to have Brother Danny as, you know, our health and temperance leader because, you know, he has the right focus and we can get those health clinics and different things. I believe we can bless a lot of people all around us. Now, watch this. In Acts chapter three, right in verse 16, there's a term that was used. It's in the King James, especially. It says in Acts three sixteen, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this what? Perfect soundness in the presence of you all. To make someone whole is to give them perfect soundness. That is what we're trying to do with the people that we labor with and labor for. Bring them to a place of perfect soundness. We want them to be restored mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. If there's problems with academia, help them in that area. If there's problems where it relates to the domestic life, help them in that area. Wherever they're lacking, our mission is to bring them to a place of perfect soundness. Everything is well. All is well. They're experiencing heaven on earth. And that's why if you help people experience heaven on earth, I guarantee you it'll make them long more for the real thing. Sometimes people don't want heaven because they don't believe in it anymore because they're not even tasting it right now. It's like anything else, family. If you want people to hunger for something, let them taste it. Is that right? If they're going to hunger and thirst after righteousness, let them taste it. And if we can show people how to have homes and turn it into little heavens on earth, that's why we started our time when, when we talked about the family last year and how our families can become more of that beautiful unit that God wants us to be. Brothers and sisters, that's creating heaven on earth. And the more we have heaven on earth, the more we'll long for the real thing that's even sweeter. Now, when you think about perfect soundness, again, physical wholeness, completeness, that's what we're talking about. Now, this is a true story. I was in uh, Bacolod, Philippines, and I was training and teaching. We did a medical missionary training for 450 medical practitioners. It was myself, uh, Yuchi Pines, Mark Sandoval from Yuchi Pines, Dr. Mark Sandoval, and uh, Thomas and Laverne Jackson from Meat Ministry. And we came in and spent this time. We trained about maybe six, 700 people altogether, but 450 were medical practitioners. Um, we were working at BAMC, Bacolod Adventist Medical Center. And I remember standing in a room, just a room filled with white coats. And I remember that I said, now, do you agree that our focus and our practice here at the hospital, and they own some land not far away, so we also told them about how to uh, use their land to turn it into a sanitarium. But I said, do you agree that our focus needs to be to make people whole? And man, you should have seen those physicians, nurses, cardiologists, surgeons. They're like, amen, amen, yes. And I was like, so we agree that we want to help make the people whole. And they was like, yes. And I said, now you know the effect of making people whole. You know what's going to happen. And they were like, well, no, because I'm talking to a room filled with physicians. I said, when people are made whole, they that are whole have no need of the physician. <laughs> Boy, you should have seen their responses. I said, see, I said, family, the focus is for you to get the people so well that they don't have to come back and see you. 
You know, that, that's, it's a shift in thinking, isn't it? That's the focus. Get the people so well that by the grace of God, you know, some people, you know, you have your thyroid removed. You're probably going to have to take some thyroid medication and see your physician for the rest of your life. So don't get me wrong. There's times where people are going to see their physician for the rest of their life. But I think there's a lot of things people suffer from where they don't have to see their physicians for the rest of their life. If that's the physician's focus, my goal is to help you to be made whole because they that are whole, they don't have need of the physician. That's the focus of helping full restoration. Now, let's get to some meat. I hope you've enjoyed your appetizers. Let's get to this question. Which healing art do we choose? There's a lot to choose from. There's all sorts of healing arts and healing methods that we can choose. But what has heaven chosen? Let's talk about it. The Bible says in Jeremiah 33 and verse six, this is God talking. Behold, I will bring it health and cure and I will cure them and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. Who is it according to the verse that heals? It is God. Who is it that preserves people from getting sick? It is God. Now we have Exodus 15 and verse 26. If thou will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put how many? None of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals thee. So lesson number one. Lesson number one, God makes it very clear. And, you, you know, not every person from Egypt is a disease laden soul. <laughs> I say that for my Egyptian family that is represented in this room. You know who you are. Amen. <laughs> yes, sir. Amen. Just because you're Egypt doesn't mean you're a disease laden soul. No, no, no. You're a beautiful child of God like everybody else. Now, again, God makes it clear. I am the source for healing. Do we agree with that? Yes. You want healing? Go to God. Very simple. Healing goes to God. If you are healed, God did it. Not the drug. Not the natural remedy. The Bible is very clear. I heal. God heals. And he can use whatever he wants. Are you following that? Now watch this. That's principle number one. God is the one that heals and restores. Now, watch this. Here's a really good question. What's his chosen agent? Does God use agents to do his healing work? And if he does, what's his chosen agents? Let's take a look. Number one is lifestyle. Number one is lifestyle. Now, I'm going to talk us through this because, you know, I want to respect the time. But please write this down. I saw some of you taking out your phones and stuff, taking pictures. Please do that. But listen to this. This is Isaiah 1. In Isaiah 1, verses 4 and 5, it's very interesting how Isaiah says your whole head is sick and your whole heart is faint. So that's what he's telling Israel. He's saying you are sick. You are weak. Now, when he gets to the healing part... This is what Isaiah says. 
It's the last four words in verse 16, especially if it's a King James. Last four words of verse 16, first four words of verse 17. Here's what Isaiah says. The last four words in verse 16, he says, cease to do evil. Stop doing the things that are bad. The first four words in verse 17, learn to do well. Start doing things that are better. Are you following that? That is dealing with lifestyle. There's things going on in the life that brought on the sickness. And therefore, the best way to combat that is cease doing things in the life. And then by God's grace, it can help the sickness go away. The first way that God addresses the issue of disease is he looks at it from the standpoint of lifestyle. The second thing God does is he uses simple, natural remedies. What do we have as examples? Clay in John 9, 6. Then we have figs in 2 Kings 20 and verse 7. Then we have water, hydrotherapy, things of that nature, 2 Kings 5, 1 through 19. And then we have plants and herbs in Ezekiel 47 and verse 12. So again, the first thing God does when somebody is sick is he addresses the issue from the standpoint of lifestyle. The second thing that God does next is he uses simple, natural remedies if they are available and if they have the knowledge to know how to address it. Of course, the natural question is, what about drug medication? Now, here's, where, here's the part I get kind of excited about it because I hate, I like to dispel fanaticism no matter where it comes from or how it looks. Many people believe that God has given to the Seventh-day Adventist church all this great health message and uh, no drugs. That is not true. That is not true. We do not have an anti-drug message. I know people who have died personally because they needed drug intervention. They did not have the things that they needed for the herbs and simple remedies and so on. And because they were so staunch on no drugs, that's what the prophet said, etc. They ended up dropping dead. And that's a tragedy because we don't have an anti-drug message. We just, ha we just have an order of when drugs come into the picture. Amen. Let me give you an example. There's a man whose son had malaria in the days of Ellen White. And here's the story. One time while we were in Australia, a brother who had been acting as a missionary in the islands told mother of the sickness and death of his firstborn son. He was seriously afflicted with malaria, and his father was advised to give him quinine. But in view of the counsel in the testimonies to avoid the use of quinine, he refused to administer it, and his son died. It then says, when he met Sister White, he asked her this question. Would I have sinned to give the boy quinine when I knew of no other way to check malaria and when the prospect was that he would die without it? In reply, she said, no, we are expected to do the best we can. So there are times and situations and circumstances where drug medication may be necessary. And God is OK with that. And we should be OK with that. But we also need to remember if we're out of order, get back in order. So here's the reality. The first mode of defense 
when addressing sickness and disease, which is where the church can participate. You see, how can the church be used to help people get cured? We always ask that question. How do, how do, what, are we going to start laying hands on people in the neighborhood? You know, just say, hey, sister, come here, you know, in the name of Jesus, and just start landing. Our head. It's like they're going to call all the people at open door a bunch of crazy quackery. You know, I mean, they're going to, you know, you understand that? That's not what we're going to do. Those are very special occasions. Now, don't get me wrong. Somebody says, I want to visit the pastor in the area. Uh, I need help. It is possible, especially with their permission. You don't start hitting people over the head with, with your hand. But if somebody comes in, pastor, can you anoint me? I, I feel very sick, da, da 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 And then we do an anointing and pray for them. In that context, yes, the laying on of hands can bring healing. That's biblical. But we're just not going to start hitting everybody in their heads and, and laying them out. That's not what we're going to do. Now, the reality is, is that how can we as God's lay people, untrained medical professionals, how can God use us? One of the things is we can all learn lifestyle. We all can learn principles of lifestyle. That's one of God's first defenses of people overcome sickness and disease. There was a man who was having back-to-back -back strokes constantly. It was a testimony over at New Start at, at Weimar. And the, and the man kept having back-to-back -back strokes. You know what they showed? You know what they noticed? And every time they tried to insert a needle, they could barely find his veins, all of this stuff. The man was so thoroughly dehydrated. They began encouraging him to drink more water. Do you think you all know how to say drink more water? You know, that brother started drinking more water. Literally, his stroke stopped. There was a, a direct correlation between his dehydration, how it was affecting his blood and made him more susceptible to developing blood clots. The more that he began to drink more water and keep his body hydrated in a very subtle way, it worked like an anticoagulant. It just helped the blood flow more freely. You see how simple that is? Lifestyle. So that's a part we all can do, even though we've had no medical training. Are you following? Then the second one is simple natural remedies. That's going to require some training. We need to know vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin D, and we have to understand that. We are going to need to understand poultices and supplements and, and hydrotherapy. You know, I've been to Bulgaria, was it two or three times? Two times. And Eld Elder was my number one guy. Me and him would go to Bulgaria minister to the people, do medical missionary trainings, an elder led out on the natural remedies class. Amen. You know, this man is thoroughly trained, <laughs> thoroughly trained, okay? And he would lead out on those natural remedy classes and the people loved it every time. And so I'm doing a lot of the teaching and elders getting there whoosh, and he's just walking in there and doing the hydrotherapy and it was a beautiful teamwork that God did. And what I'm saying is, is that we are gonna need some degree of training. But then the third one is drug medication. Sometimes if we don't have access to the simple natural, don't understand it, or maybe it's not working as we hoped. If we don't understand the principles of lifestyle and we realize this is something that's going to require a drug intervention, that's where evidently the medical professional is going to need to come into the picture. Because we don't know drugs as lay people. We can't just say, yeah, take this and take that. We need to let them come in. So there's a way that this can work, but this is God's order. Are you following that? Based on this, this is why we should be able to appreciate this statement. There are many ways of practicing the healing art, but there's really only one way that heaven approves. God's remedies are the simple agencies of nature that will not tax or debilitate the system through their powerful properties. So that's the order. Let's start with the one way. 
That's to be, that should always be our first mode of action. God's laws of health. That should be it. We should understand it. We should know how to put it into practice. We should understand how not only to drink water, but how to use water. I wonder how many of you would like to have somebody who's licensed and professional and able to do well that could come here and whoever was willing to be trained at Open Door, they could show you how to do hydrotherapy treatments. That might be a blessing to us. And the one thing I am is resourceful. <laughs> if you want it, I'll find it. <laughs> now, brothers and sisters, this is what God is saying. I got to wrap up. Here's the key. Here's the key. I want to wrap this up. I want to wrap this up with a beautiful testimonial and, and, and something that I think you'll appreciate. It was on December 25th. What do we know December 25th to be? That's Christmas Day, right? Well, on December 25th, I'm not saying that God did this for Christmas, but God did do something on December 25th, 1865. It was December 25th, 1865, that God got something started called the sanitarium work in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It was on December 25th. This sanitarium work was an absolute amazing work. And do you know what our sanitariums, in the order of heaven, do you know what our sanitariums were supposed to look like? This. This is actually a picture of one of our sanitariums in North America today called Yuchi Pines. This is the original setup of Yuchi Pines. They have a different building set up today, but this was heaven's instruction home-like structures. That's what sanitariums were supposed to be, home-like structures. And we were supposed to have quite a bit of them. Now, in the sanitarium setup, here's what inspiration says about it. In the preparation of a people for the Lord's second coming. So the focus of the sanitarium was to be an instrument in God's hands to prepare people for the Lord's second coming. That was the focus. It says, a great work is to be accomplished through the promulgation of health principles. The people are to be instructed in regard to the needs of the physical organism and the value of healthful living as taught in the scriptures. That the bodies which God has created may be presented to him a living sacrifice, fitted to render him acceptable service. There's a great work to be done for suffering humanity in relieving their sufferings by the use of the natural agencies that God has provided. And in teaching them how to prevent sickness by the regulation of the appetites and passions. This is what was to be taught in sanitariums. Continuing, the people should be taught that transgression of the laws of nature is transgression of the laws of God. This is what sanitariums teach. Hospitals may not teach this, but sanitariums were supposed to teach this. It then says they should be taught that the truth in the physical as well as in spiritual lines, that the fear of the Lord tends to life. If thou wilt enter life, Christ says, keep the commandments. Live out my law as the apple of thine eye. God's commandments obeyed are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Our sanitariums are an educating power to teach the people in these lines. So this is what God gave to us. Now, closing story. We obviously are in a pandemic. But pandemics, even in the respiratory system, is not new to America. We've gone through this before. And I want to give a little testimony on this. Past flu pandemics, the, you know, we had something that hit us really hard, which was known as the Spanish flu. I'm sure we're familiar with that. It was quite devastating because it killed 40 million people worldwide. So it was pretty bad, even though it killed approximately 700,000 in America. Then you had these other ones, the Asian flu and the Hong Kong flu. Their death rates were way lower. 
But with that Spanish flu, that one was pretty serious. Now watch this. This is where we get some pretty powerful information. Dr. Rubel was the secretary of the General Conference Medical Missionary Work in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And what he did was he recorded how our sanitariums did with this deadly disease. And here was his findings. There were three institutes that they looked at. The United States Army, the outpatient hospitals, and 10 of the Seventh-day Adventist sanitariums to address the deadly Spanish flu, which is very much like COVID today. Here's what they noticed. The mortality rate with the United States Army was about 16%. Mortality rate, 16%. Then with the outpatient hospitals, they did better. They only had about an 8% death rate. But when the Seventh-day Adventist sanitariums came into the picture, they said, how did these guys do with this deadly disease? And here was their mortality rate. One percent. The Seventh-day Adventist sanitariums were superior to the outpatient hospitals and to the United States Army in addressing that terrible pandemic. This is not faith. This is not religion. These are just facts. <laughs> this is just historical facts. These are, Nathan, amazing facts. <laughs> now, watch the, and I think this is amazing, because 1% death rate from people who use no drugs to address the issue. 1% death rate. Now, here's the deal. That's an actual picture of our sanitariums in the 1800s. Can you see that lady there? I mean, she, she said, I'm not going to let a skirt stop me. She got her skirt on and her blouse and everything, and she's getting it in, stretching and everything, right? What was it that they did in the sanitariums that made their work and results so superior to every other organization that could have provided medical help? Here's what they did. Lots of hydrotherapy. That's what they did in our sanitariums. They had better diet because they taught people to have a plant-based diet. Uh, better, more regular sleep. Sleep is king. The more you sleep is the more your body heals. So they actually promoted better and regular sleep. Less stress. Everybody in the sanitarium had to be a Christian. They were all Christians. They were people who have already learned of Jesus and loved people and served the people and did everything possible to provide a non-stress environment. Less chilling, they actually showed the people how to dress their bodies in ways that affords for equal distribution of blood flow because that is connected to the quote that Azariah read a little earlier about perfect circulation, perfect health. Breathing, yes, but it actually talks about proper dress and cladding of the body. Then, better environment, all sanitariums are in the country. Sanitariums were not in the city. They were all in the country, so the people walking outside, they would see beautiful scenes of nature. Then they addressed the whole person. Can you imagine that? Mental, physical, spiritual, and social needs. They had better medicine because they were using simple natural remedies, better nursing, more life, and the rest. And this is history, but not really because, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we still have these institutes in existence Today, Meat Ministry, Uchi Pines, Wildwood, Eden Valley. I've been to all of these organizations. 
I work, I'm a board member and an instructor for the school for Meat Ministry and for Eden Valley. I know the leadership and have worked over at Uchi Pines and Wildwood. Wildwood wants me to come speak for their, I forget what year it is, 50th year or 70th year anniversary this April. I mean, these are amazing organizations. And they are still using the simple natural remedies to help people, addressing the things of lifestyle. They're still looking to do all of these things. And I got a phone call. I got an email from a sister. This is it. I'm closing right here. I got, a, I got an email from a sister who came to me when I was at Meat Ministry. She had stage four lung cancer. In the medical world, they call it distant. When you have distant lung cancer, that means that the disease has moved from the original location to some other part of the body, etc. And when she had her stage four lung cancer, the doctor said, you're going to die. You, you have months to live. That's it. And I remember she was pretty skinny and, you know, bony and those type of things. And I came there to just minister to her a little bit. We kept in touch. A year or so went by. And oh, how glad my heart was. And I want you to understand, this was with no drug intervention. This was with lifestyle and simple natural remedies. And I want you to notice the date. September 15 of 2020. Here's the email she sent me. Lastly, I'd like to give a praise report. When I was at Meet last year, I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. I'm happy to report that on August 26, 2020, I was told at my doctor's appointment that I'm in remission and there are no more tumors on my lung and no cancer is detected in my blood. All I can say is to God be the glory. Brother Lemon, when I first heard the news, I didn't know how to react. I was literally in shock. I've been accustomed to hearing bad news for so long that I came to expect it. But when I least expected it, God showed up and showed out. I'm a living witness that he's still in the miracle working business. The Lord healed me and I want to share my testimony experience with the world. Maybe it will help or encourage someone else. Brothers and sisters, this is not rare. This is common. If you called me, if you called Yuchi, how many people are coming to you with terminal diseases? And these are the kind of reports you're getting. They're going to say, oh, yeah, we get them every every single year. And so we have these we have a health message that works both on an individual level as well as on an institutional level. And this is the work that God has given to us that I believe in such a time as this in Earth's history. God is appealing to our hearts to say, embrace this work in giving the whole gospel to those who know it not. And my appeal is simply this. How many of you are willing to say, by the grace of God, whether it be small or whether it be great, I am willing to play my part in participating in gospel medical missionary evangelism. If that's you, could you stand to your feet with me, please? I want to pray for you and I want to pray for us. And I believe the Lord is going to bless us in a most beautiful and mighty way. And I know this is this is rare now, (laughs) but, you know, went a little longer than normal. So please forgive me. But yes, I just really wanted to share these things with us. By God's grace, we'll be right back on target with our regular time frames, etc. But by the grace of God, family, the Lord wants to do something special. And with you standing, there's no reason he can't do it. So may we all cooperate with him as we go forward in doing his work in his way and being an instrument of blessing to so many who need it in such a time as this. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are very grateful, Lord.
We thank you so much for the gift of life. We thank you so much for this opportunity once again to start this year off focusing on health, but more importantly, the gospel of health. I pray that you might help all of us to take to heart the wonderful gospel medical missionary work that you have availed for all of us to participate in. And Lord, may this church be a shining light and may it inspire our other churches, our sister churches, to embrace this work as well. And as a family unit, may we go forward in the promulgation and the finishing of thy work. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.